Well, good morning. It is indeed a privilege to be in the house of the Lord one more time. Amen. And it's a good privilege to see all of your beautiful, smiling, handsome faces. I love me some Brother Jeff, Brother Jeff Harper. I love him, loving the life. And he, uh, he walked back to me a little while ago. He walked right in my face. He said, Craig, he said, not to put any pressure on you. <laughs> you know, when they start like that, you know, he said, but you are speaking the very oracles of God. Amen. I said, thank you, Brother Jeff. Thanks for the pressure. <laughs> <laughs> but he's absolutely right, and I know exactly what he meant. Thank you for that. I don't know if um, any of you were able this past weekend, Friday and Saturday, to um, go to the East Bank Theater, uh, but we had a beautiful display put on by our very own Sister Carolyn Jones-Sullivan. Beautiful. It was entitled Ballot and the Beauty Box. And it, Beauty and the Ballot Box, excuse me. I, I'm sorry, I got it mixed up. Uh, and she gave us a bit of humor as well as history as relates to a lot of the civil rights movement uh, that took place here in Shreveport. Uh, Louisiana. And so we're grateful for you sharing that history of your own life and how you had to go into the schools and help desegregate the schools. And so she was a part of that. And of course, her father, uh, the late Pastor Edward Jones, helped spearhead that mission. Such a beautiful thing. And then, as if we didn't know she had enough wit, our very own Monica Harris. <laughs> did a fantastic job playing her role uh, in there. I think she's going to give up all this and go into acting full time. <laughs> she did such a beautiful job with it. Pastor always says that a constant review is the student's... Okay, so we're familiar with him saying that. Um, I look back when, when he had called me and, and he said, hey, I need you to step in for me. Um, once my heart came back into my body, I began to think about um, what it is that, that the Lord would want me to, to say. And I, I have to say this, um, I, I never come to any pulpit with my thoughts. I always seek the Lord first and say, I don't care how soon, how late, however far in advance I may know, Lord, what is it that you would want? me to say. And so when he called, uh, I've already been working on a, on a message, um, kind of because of this very reason, just need to be prepared, but I'm not done with it. And so it's like, Lord, you know, what is it? Uh, and, and I thought back to our seven rhythms. You know, we've been engulfed in the study on Rooted. Um, and if you have not taken part of that study, let me tell you, you are missing out on something great. It is a wonderful study that we've been taking a part of over these past eight or nine weeks. And we're you know, right at the end of it. I think we have like a couple more weeks to go. But at the very start of it, and I think one of the first or second messages that Pastor preached on Rooted, he talked about the seven rhythms. 
And so I want to bring those seven rhythms back at the end of this series to remind you why we did it in the first place. So some of the things that you are here today are some things that you probably have already heard unless you haven't been paying attention. But I want to ask the question, are you keeping the rhythms? And that's my title for the message this morning. Are you keeping the rhythms? Jason had the rhythms back up, and you can put them up there again. Uh, those rhythms are, how, do, how, how many of y'all know them? Okay, they're on the screen, so read them with me. They are daily devotion, prayer, repentance, sacrificial generosity, serving the community, sharing your story, and worship. All right, now, that was very sparse. I want everybody to say it together with me now, okay? Because, again, this is important, all right? The seven rhythms of Rooted are daily devotion, Excellent. Excellent. It's important to understand that by our own pastor's admission that these seven rhythms of rooted are going to be the mantra for this church. When you talk about EBC to your friends and to your family, to your coworkers, and they ask you, what is your church about? I would encourage you to memorize these seven rhythms, so that you can just look good in front of your coworkers. Uh, hey, it's okay, all right? So it's, it's know what your church is about. And so this is going to serve as the mantra for this church. But the, the, the only thing about this, before it can become the flow of EBC, it has to first become the flow of your hearts. Because when we look at EBC, don't look at the edifice. Don't look at the building. Look at the people. Look at yourselves. And so if we as a church are going to be about these seven rhythms, then it all begins and ends with you. And that's what pastor has in mind for all of us to have these seven rhythms. It's our challenge. Heard about a story of um, former President Abraham Lincoln. He and the Secretary of State um, went to church one time after a hotly contested battle. And this is supposed to be a true story. He just needed some relief, some reprieve and from this battle that had just taken place. And so he and the Secretary of State went to, went to church. And so they sat in church, and when they got done... Secretary of State asked the president, he said, Mr. President, what do you think of the message? And it's stated that he said, well, it was compassionate. Um, it was well prepared and it was well delivered. Secretary of State said, okay, so you, you thought it was a successful message. And the president said, oh, no. In fact, I thought it was an epic failure. He said, well, how? You just said that it was of compassion, it was well prepared, and it was well delivered. What's the problem? He said he didn't issue a challenge. And that story has always resonated with me. 
When we come to church and we're in this facility with each other or wherever we are as a body of believers, what are we here for? Are we here to just simply holler out hallelujah? Are we here to look at the latest fashion of the person who may be sitting next to you? Are we here to find out that Brother Jones has a new truck and we want to see his truck when he drives up? Are we here to look at the beautiful facilities and the, and the nuances and things and technology things that we have going on? Is that what you come to church for? And are you satisfied walking in the same way that you came in? Are you satisfied leaving out the same way that you came in each and every week? Are you satisfied with the mundane? Are you satisfied with just church being church? Or do you want to leave here built up and ready to serve? And that's the question that's on the floor. As we look at these rhythms and the fact that are we keeping these rhythms, these rhythms are imploring us to move, to get moving. It is a challenge. Daily devotion is a challenge. Prayer is a challenge sometimes. Being generous out of the kindness of your own heart, not as for compulsive giving or whatever, or, you know, being cheerful about that can be a challenge. Because sometimes we do give because we think we are supposed to give. And so I want, on the back end of this series, to talk about what we talked on the front end, but issue it as a challenge to us today. So let's look at these rhythms, and we're going to do as many of them as we, as we possibly can. Have you ever danced with somebody who didn't have rhythm? <laughs> it, it, it's an awkward thing, isn't it? I mean, it, it's awkward when, when, when one person has rhythm, but the other person is, can't find the beat at all. It's an awkward-looking thing. And, and, and we actually saw an example of something like this. I hate I'm even saying this. I hate I'm bringing it up. I, I wish they'd cut the camera off at this point. But, but you know, I, I marched in the band at Jackson State uh, some 20-plus years ago. And I don't know if Carlos Prudem is here or watching, but his old messed-up band uh, from, from Mississippi Valley, you know, was just, just did an ugly thing to us last week. We were marching in, playing our song. We play Get Ready every time we, we march through a stadium. And we're playing Get Ready. And, and next thing you know, their band is like right here where, your, where the audience is, where you are, and our band is here. And as we are finishing the song, their band starts playing while we are playing our song. The audacity. <laughs> and what happened was, you saw that there were portions of the band that were marching and they started missing their steps. They were off rhythm because there was another band playing with another rhythm. But the funny thing about it was those in the front were off rhythm, but those who were closest to the drum section never missed a beat because they could hear the drum cadence playing the whole time. What am I saying? 
The further you are away from God, the more potential it is for you to be. But the closer you are to the marching steps of the Lord, the more on beat, the more rhythm you will tend to have. So I'm glad that it happened, but I'm not glad that it happened. The question is, is God the only one in your two-person relationship with rhythm? Does he know what the flow is for your life, but you are not connected? And you are so disconnected where he's, he's re- extending his hand to you and you, you, your soul's all over the place. You can't even grab his hand because you're disconnected. You're out of rhythm. You're out of sync with God. And I want to encourage you this morning to take that time to learn these seven rhythms, whether we get through them all today or not, learn these seven rhythms so that when you and God are dancing together, your heartbeat is with his and his is with yours. The first one is daily devotion. Daily devotion. The beautiful thing about these seven rhythms is that if you take the time, you will find every last one of them in Acts chapter 2. After Pentecost. And so this is where this is drawn from. All is drawn from Acts chapter 2. Of course, we can't read all of it together, but just keep that in mind when you get home. Read Acts chapter 2 in its entirety. But Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 46, but I'm going to read verse 42 first. Here's what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. We're talking about the early disciples, the early church. And then verse 46 says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The first thing I want you to look at, brothers and sisters, is that word devoted. It says that they devoted, these early saints, these Christian believers, these people who had just found the Lord Jesus as the substance of their lives, the Bible says that they got to the point, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, that word devoted comes from a Greek word which means to persevere and not faint. Now think about that for a second. When you are persevering through something, that means that something on the other side is worth fighting for and it's difficult because you've got to persevere through it. It's not an easy glide. It's not an easy stride into it. You've got to work hard to get to that point. So the Bible says that these early believers, they they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So here's the thing. When you hear a pastor up here preaching and he says something that you really don't like, You've got to take the mindset of these believers and persevere through that thing. 
Because the word of God has an uncanny ability of stepping on toes. Now, if you don't want to admit it, that's fine, but I'll admit it. In the life of Craig Pollard, the word of God has stepped on my toes a mini day. And when I hear a message either from this pulpit or from other places, I have to look at myself and say, this message is for me. I learned that from Dr. O. This message is for me. They devoted themselves to the teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread with one another. They persevered through it. So guess what else about that? Brothers and sisters, what we are trying to do as a church, as we're becoming multicultural, if you will, and multi-ethnic, that thing is going to make us persevere. It's going to be some difficult times. We may not understand each other in its totality, but guess what? If you persevere, you will have the Lord's guidance. If you persevere. But the key word is if. It is a difficult thing. The civil rights movement was real. People hung and bled and died for the rights of African Americans as a people. But that's not the sum total of our story. Because if we are going to be the church. I love that song says red and yellow, black and white. We are all precious in his sight. When will we get to the point in time where we look at each other as precious instead of problematic, instead of a person who brought pain? They devoted themselves. They persevered through those hard and tough messages that the apostles were teaching on unity, togetherness, generosity, grace, mercy. Difficult. Difficult. But then he says, the second one is prayer. Prayer. Daily devotion, being devoted to the word of God on a daily basis. Brothers and sisters, if there is a day that goes by that you aren't in God's word, something is wrong with your relationship. Can you imagine going home to your spouse or to your children and having utter silence every day? Sure, we get upset with each other. My wife can ride my nerves sometimes. <laughs> and I know I ride hers. And we have to get that thing back together. But I couldn't imagine going home and turning my back to my wife or her turning her back to me. There's a relationship that is at stake here. And so they devoted themselves to the word of God. And you and I have to devote ourselves to daily 
reading. And we've got to ask those hard questions. God, what does this mean? But then, God, how does this apply to me? And when God speaks, you say, yes, sir. There are a few brothers who are in here. I won't name their names. But one of them is Jeremiah. I am going to name his name. Jeremiah and I have a great time looking over the Word of God together. And he sent long texts. And I got to sit down and take an hour to read his text. Like, Jeremiah, stop texting me, man. Call me. But I love our relationship because he and I ask each other very tough questions. And sometimes he agrees with me and sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes I agree with him and sometimes I don't. But that shouldn't warp our relationship. It should only make it stronger. And I love that. So they devoted themselves to the word of God and to prayer. How many of us, don't raise your hand, but how many of you are very purposeful about your prayer life. Purposeful about it. Come what may, you're going to have some prayer time with the Lord. But contrary, how many of us get so sidetracked with life and distracted that our prayers become distorted? And as soon as the phone rings or buzzes, our minds go to it and they leave the Lord. You have no idea what God is capable and willing to do in your life if you will commit prayer time to him. In fact, everything that you see at this church and even buying the land on this other side and going to get this one on, on the other side in, in, in Jesus' name, it's going to be done by prayer. Everything we do. But now I want to encourage you never to enter into prayer with just your prayer list. God is not a Burger King God. We shouldn't try to have it our way. And as soon as we get up out of our bed, God, you know what I need. My wife tripping. My car don't work. I need a new house. And you start with your whole litany of things that you want to tell the Lord. And you neglect to just say, Lord, I stretch my hands to thee. No other help I know. If thou withdraw thy hands from me, oh, whether will I go? It's important that we enter into prayer with God with reverence and respect. You pray and say, Lord, Thank you for another day. Thank you that you brought me through yesterday's problems. And even though today may have some issues, I know that you are God who's over the issue. Thank you that you said you never leave me or forsake me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And when you start thanking God like that and talking to him like that, I believe that you perk his ears up. 
because he's worthy of all of our praise and he's expecting it. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. He lives in our praise. But then once we get through entering into that kind of prayer, the next type of prayer is what you hear, petition or supplication. And that's when you do get down to the nitty gritty. Now, Lord, you know what's happening today. You know that they want to fire me on my job. You know that my husband or my wife is is acting up. You know that my my child has walked away. And, Lord, I need you to touch this situation right here, right now, in the name of Jesus. That's called a supplication. And when you read that in the King James Version, you know, the Bible talks about in Philippians chapter 4, he said, you know, don't, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, or, or may say petition. You, you see how it distinguished those two? He says, first you enter into prayer. That is your mode of walking before God intimately and respectfully and reverently. Him. But then you go to him and say, Lord, I do have some prayer requests. I do have some needs on the table. And I want you to meet these needs. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, supplication, how? With thanksgiving. Present your request to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's how we are to pray. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 119. Psalm chapter 119. I want you to look at what David said about prayer. Psalm 119, verse 145 through 147. Here's what it says in the NIV. David says, I call with all my heart. Answer me, Lord, and I will obey your decrees. I call out to you. Save me, and I will keep your statutes. And this is the part I like. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I have put my hope in your word. He has his prayer request. He has his need. He's specific about what he needs from the Lord. But he says, Lord, this thing is so important to me that before my family gets to moving in the morning, before my job gets to calling me, before my children get to begging me for something, before breakfast even starts, Lord, I rise early in the morning before dawn and I seek your face. How many of us are willing to sacrifice 20, 30, 40 minutes before the sun rises, just to seek his face. I know it's a challenge. The way that they make beds now, make it a challenge. Sometimes I feel like my bed is just just hugging me. And don't want to let go. But we've got to learn to let it go. And I know everybody is an early riser. I get that. And it doesn't make you a sinner if you pray throughout the day or pray at night. No, that's not, that's not it at all. But I think the gist of what needs to be understood is, is that once you wake up and start moving, other things are going to captivate your thought process. Yeah. 
And in fact, if you're not ready for battle, when people stand before you, you just may give them a word that you wouldn't use on Sunday morning. Because you're not ready, you're not armed for battle. I've learned, brothers and sisters, to get up in the morning and put on the armor of God. I'm serious. When my feet hit the floor, I'm about to hit the floor, Lord, gird my loins with your belt of truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, having my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith I will quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all power and supplication for all saints everywhere, and for me too. I love how Paul does that. He said, yeah, Lord, put on this armor. I need it. Put on the, the helmet of salvation to guard my mind from all the distractions of this world. And, Lord, I'm going to pray for all my people. But, Lord, and for me too. You see, sometimes we, we, we've learned um, that, that something is wrong when, when you pray for yourself. I don't know where we got that from. Man, you can't beat me praying for me. I pray for me way better than any of y'all pray for me. Because I know what I need. I'm thankful for the prayers of my brothers and sisters. I share with a few and say, look, I, I've got to stand this morning and I just need the Lord. And, and they've prayed, but, but wasn't nobody praying like I was praying. But that's how it's supposed to work. But then if you think David is, is just our example, I want you to look at Mark chapter 1 and find another example. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. You can pull that up in the NIV. And if you can't, that's fine. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Look at how it reads. Very early in the morning. What? Huh? It, it, now, isn't that familiar? Isn't that what David said? Before dawn, before the sun rises? It says, very early in the morning. While it was still dark. Who? Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a what? And he did what? Ah, isn't that beautiful? So our master savior, who was deity. Because some people say, well, why, why did Jesus have to pray? Because he was our example. Jesus moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, oh, well, I don't know about that. Well, remember when, when John the Baptist baptized him? He said, and I saw the spirit descend as a dove. It wasn't a dove now. I hate when people on, on TV show that dove flying down on Jesus. Are you kidding me? Just, you know, it as a dove, not, not a dove, but like one. And it, the Bible says remained on him. And brothers and sisters, when you and I invite the Lord Jesus inside of our hearts, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit comes and he remains in you. And while it's early in the morning, Jesus stepped out. He went to a place where he could not be found or disturbed for a period of time. And he 
Brothers and sisters, this is our shining example. We need to understand that when we get up in the morning, we, and listen, Jesus probably played a whole lot longer than we do. I, I have no doubt about it. I probably would have been looking at him like, man, when you getting up out that ground? Time to go. Um, but he was purposeful about his prayer life. And I just want to know how many of us are purposeful about our prayer lives. And if I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to me as well. And I have to be honest, there are ebbs and flows, even in my own. And what tends to happen is when we are hit with something that is very difficult and challenging for us, that's when we find ourselves all on our knees and we sweating and crying and, you know, and, and, and that's okay. That's fine. But listen, how beautiful would it be when nothing is wrong and you step before the Lord? Say, Lord, I really don't have a whole lot to ask for you today. I just want to sit at your feet. I just want to be before your presence. I just want to tell you how beautiful you are. I just want to tell you how much I appreciate all the things that you've done in my life. I just want to tell you, thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for delivering me from the pit of hell. Thank you, Lord, that when I do die, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to see you face to face. Lord, thank you. Nothing is wrong, but I just want to be with you. It's a beautiful, beautiful sight. And I want to encourage us. No, I want to challenge you. Every morning, it may not be before the sun rises for some of us. But for those who are willing, for those who can, rise up and spend a little time with Jesus. The next one was repentance. I'm not sure if we're going to get through all of these, but repentance. We talked about daily devotion. We talked about prayer. But then also, it's now time to talk about repentance. And don't you find it a little awkward that repentance is a part of the rhythm? Like, you, you, you think, you know, I only repent when I've done something really bad. But no, it's a part of the rhythm. What that tells me is, is that you and I are inclined to sin. <laughs> the Bible says that we are born in sin and shaped in unrighteousness. That's how we were born, because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And so a part of the seven rhythms is for you and for me to be able to say, Lord, I have messed up. But then even beyond talking to him about repentance, brothers and sisters, we should talk to each other. And if you have wronged someone and the Lord has convicted you about the thing that you have done, you should go to your brother, your sister, your, your wife, your husband, your child and say, baby, I'm sorry. Forgive me for what I said. Forgive me for what I've done. I ask for your forgiveness. I shared this with this church probably five or six years ago, so most of you haven't heard this story. As a young guy, a teenager, um, I, I was raised in a Christian environment, in a Christian home. Uh, 
But I got away from my Christian training. And I saw how beautiful ladies were. And, um, and that, 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 that did something to me. Um, yeah, all right, it's, start, it's starting to heat it now, huh? <laughs> and I went off to school, and I was not living the way that my parents had taught me to live. I was sexually active. And that was against the grain of my Christian foundation. Fifteen years or so later, I was driving to my parents' house one day, and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me as clearly as possible to my heart and say, Craig, tell your dad what you've done. I said, thanks and no thanks. I don't think I don't know if I've ever audibly told God no before, but I told him no. <laughs> I love you, Lord, but I'm not doing that. And I suppressed, 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 suppressed it. About a month or so later, that same conviction rose up inside of me. Craig, tell your father what you've done. Brothers and sisters, I had the toughest conversation I ever had. I called my dad, not my mom, I called my dad because I was under his roof. He was the authority figure in my life. He was the one who set the rules. I had disobeyed father. I had dishonored father's name. And I said, dad, I need to tell you something. And I told him about what I had been doing, what I had had done all those years ago. I mean, I was completely removed from that. I was married at the time, had children. I, I, you know, by the grace of God, I've never cheated on my wife. That's not my story. But, but I, you know, but before that time, I was a mess. And I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I was a mess. And here's some of the things that I was doing. And immediately my father said, oh, son, you're forgiven for that. It wasn't a conversation. It wasn't, I don't know why you didn't tell me this earlier. It wasn't, you knew better. I taught you better. Immediately, my father said, no, you, you, you're forgiven for that, son. Don't even worry about it. And brothers and sisters, at that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, now I can use you. I want you to understand that repentance is powerful. Repentance can deliver you from the thing that you're in. Because what happens is re repentance at the heart of it is admitting that you did something wrong. It's a recognition that I'm in left field. And, and so I make that argument that there, there are four elements to, to repentance. If you're writing this down, take, take this down. There are four elements to it. The first one is, is you're recognizing that they are sin in your life. You're admitting it. Father, I've sinned. Mother, I've sinned. You know, son, daughter, whatever, I've sinned. And God, I've sinned. It's not that God doesn't know it. 
But you're going to him and say, Lord, I've messed up. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. And I want you to forgive me for it. So it's a recognition of it. Then secondly, it's, it's remorse. You feel bad about what you have done. You, you recognize it. You are remorseful for it. Thirdly, you are requesting forgiveness. I seek your forgiveness for this thing that, that I have done. This is our conversation to each other or whomever you may have hurt. And then the last part of it is you are rehearsing it no more. It is an about face to the thing that you have done. Recognizing the sin, being remorseful over the sin, requesting forgiveness, rehearsing it no more. That should be our approach to repentance. The next one on the list is sacrificial generosity or sacrificial giving. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. You put it up on the screen for me because I don't have it on my, on my notes, please. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 45. And here's how it reads. All the believers were together and they had everything what? In common. Next verse. They sold property and possessions to give any to anyone who had need. Isn't that powerful? They, they, they sold their possessions. They laid what they had at the apostles' feet so that everybody would have all things in common. It didn't matter what your skin color was. It didn't matter what your creed was, what your sex was. Everyone did the same thing as an act of harmony and they generously gave what they had. Imagine if we were to do something like that. Imagine it. That's a heart of generosity. But it's a sacrificial giving. Let me say something to you, brothers and sisters. If you're giving and it does not affect you, you aren't giving enough. If you're giving and it, it doesn't pinch you a little bit, then I, I, I would suggest that you need to check your giving. The Bible doesn't tell us to give from our surplus necessarily. You can. That can be an, an offering. Um, but it, the Bible talks about sacrificial giving. In other words, it, you know, if, if you subscribe to a tithe or a tenth or whatever, that should, it, should, it should pinch you a little bit. Because you can say, well, Lord, I, you know, I, I really could use this to pay uh, this phone bill. Uh, my car note is due. Uh, but Lord, as an act of generosity, as sacrificial giving, Lord, I, I'm going to give you what I could use myself. And brothers and sisters, that's something that my wife and I do try to do. I mean, we're not rich by any stretch of the circle. You know, I'm serious. I'm about to ask Andrea for $100,000. Be ready. <laughs> but every time we give, it's money that we could use for something else. 
But we give sacrificially because that's what our Lord and Savior did. He gave sacrificially for us. He gave us his all and all to him we owe. Brothers and sisters, you know, when he died on that cross, he didn't have to do that. But he did it anyway. It was a sacrifice of him for us. And in response to his sacrificing for us, you and I should be sacrificing for him. Now, generosity is not just found in your pocketbooks. It could be visitations. It could be taking care of the needs of someone else. It can even be a listening ear. Generosity comes in various forms. But I tell you, if you are a person who is willing to open up his or her pocketbook, then the Lord can have the rest of your heart too. If you're obedient in giving, you best believe the rest of everything else can be very easy for you. Give, but do it sacrificially. Do it to the point where you say, the church of Corinth made a pledge uh, in 2 Corinthians. And Paul went to go meet with them and said, he, he, he admonished them and said, listen, it's, it's time for you guys to, to pay up this pledge. Um, you know, you, you pledged it. I didn't urge you to do it. I didn't make you do it. It's something you said, but we are going to send some people over to, to receive it. But he says something else. And I want you to look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter um, 9, verses 6 through 9. Listen to what, what, what Paul says. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap what? Generously. Then he says, each of you should give what you have decided to give in your what? Heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves. Or what kind of giver? And God is able to do what? Okay, let's stop right there. You see, oftentimes we, we, we read that and we, we, we stop. I, you know, I'm, I really don't like preaching from parts of or passages of Scripture. I like really looking at the whole text. Because sometimes we miss things that are very important to see or things that can be beneficial to you. So he, he starts out by saying, you know, if, if you sow sparingly, seed here and a seed over there and you know then you're going to reap sparingly but if you start just throwing throwing seed at people i guarantee you brother jeff and and and, uh sister patty have um a pantry that at at their home i I hope you don't mind me saying this uh it's too late now anyway (laughs) yeah i'm gonna get you back for getting me this morning but they have a pantry at, at, at their home, um, and it's a love pantry, if you will. And they were sowing into that themselves. They were giving. They were going to the store, buying different things. But for, for a pantry that they have outside their house, that anybody in the neighborhood or whomever can come by and get whatever the need is out of that pantry. They're doing that right here. And when they started doing that, I know it was costly. It cost them some money. 
But Brother Jeff sent a picture to our men's group the other, other day, and he had piles of boxes that other people had started sending to him and his wife because they were sowing seeds. God bless you. Sister Patty, Brother Jeff, God bless you for thinking about other people. I just use them as an example, but I know there are several of, of you in this building who do certain things like that. Some of you sow just seeds of love and attention. A person is in need and you just want to be there to be a listening ear. You just want to be there to provide comfort and a little bit of security. God bless you for that. And Lord, whatever seed that these people are, your people are sowing, Lord, in the name of Jesus, let it multiply abundantly. There's much more to say, brothers and sisters, but out of respect for, for our time, uh, I'll stop right there. But I hope that from what pastor has been teaching and preaching to us, to what we've been doing on Sundays and, and Wednesday evenings, I'm hopeful that all of us will connect or reconnect to the rhythmic pattern of God. There are seven rhythms that make us have a harmonious relationship with the Lord. And if you love him the way you say you do, then you will be obedient to those patterns. Now you have it. What are you going to do with it? That's my challenge to you. Are you keeping the rhythm? All heads are bowed, all eyes are closed.